I hope you had a great time of Christmas. I hope that you had time with your family. I hope that you had a lot of food to eat. And if you had children in your home, I imagine you are tired. But that's okay. That's part of Christmas. Uh, Sometimes it's a day of rest, and sometimes you're just hoping for rest. But it is, as Chuck said, now's the time as we begin to think about, well, what about next year? What's ahead for us? You know, one of the things about every time you come to this time of the year, when you turn one page and, and get ready to go in the ne- to the next, you're just not sure what it's going to be like. It could be one of the greatest years that you will ever have in 2022. Or there could be some challenges. There could be some things that you're not expecting. You know, one of the exciting things for us as a church, I don't know if you've parked in the back part of the facility and seen all the construction that's going on. We're going to have a brand new children's wing. We're going to have a brand new fellowship hall. We're going to have a brand new entrance so that when people come here for the first time, they're not going to be confused and knowing where to go. That's exciting. That's something that God is doing in our midst, something to look forward to. Each week as you and I come to church, we'll be able to see the progress that's being made. Well, this morning, I want to look at a passage of Scripture out of the first chapter of the book of Joshua. I think there are some principles that are going to fall out of the life of Joshua that will help us prepare for whatever the new year brings. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to the first chapter, and I'm going to read the first six verses. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to you, to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Now in this passage of scripture, there's a couple of things that start us on this journey of trying to prepare for our journey. First thing we see in this passage is the death of Moses. Now, for Joshua, these weren't weren't unexpected. This event was coming. He knew that Moses was going to (coughs) die. Excuse me. But in this instance, as, as much as he had prepared, he knew that the loss of Moses was going to be crushing not only for him, but for the children of Israel. And as the death of Moses weighs upon him, he realizes that what he had been planning for for decades to take on this leadership role was now here. But there's something else here. Not only was it the death of Moses, it was also the fact that the children of Israel, can one of you guys get me a a thing of water? (coughs) I've got a tickle in my throat. What happens 
Thank you, BJ. And we see this in verse 2, is that they're going to have to cross the Jordan River. And we'll find out later in chapter 3 that the Jordan River's at flood stage. There was no way that the children of Israel were going to be able to cross the Jordan River with all of their possessions, with all of their livestock, with all of their families. It was going to be impossible for them to get across the Jordan River because it was flooding. Now, there's another situation here because as soon as they cross the Jordan River, they're going to also encounter Jericho. Now, archaeologists tell us that the walls of Jericho were probably at least 15 feet thick and 30 to 50 feet wide. Israel neither had the technology, the ability, or the expertise to know how to do siege warfare and take that city. So these people faced some daunting tasks. Joshua faced some daunting tasks. So the question I want to ask this morning is, what prepared Joshua to be able to take on this new leadership role, this responsibility, and to lead these people into the promised land? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because there are at least four different instances before we've gotten to Joshua, that the Bible gives us a window that we can peel back and we can see how these instances, how these circumstances shape Joshua's life. The first one I want to turn to is all the way back in the book of Exodus, in Exodus 17. And what happens in this situation is that the children of Israel have just come from Egypt. They've just escaped the captivity of slavery. They have crossed the, they have crossed the river. They've gotten over on the other side. And almost immediately what happens is there's a group of people called the Amalekites, led by a king named Amalek, and they attack the Israelites. Joshua is the military commander. He's given the responsibility of leading these people into battle. Now, that must have been a daunting task as it was because they were not trained warriors. So as they go into the battle against the Amalekites, what happens is that Moses has to have his hands raised up and lifted up. In fact, there will be two men that will hold his hands. And as Moses holds his hands high and prays to the Lord, then the Israelites win the battle. It takes a while, but over time they defeat the Amalekites. And here in the passage of Scripture, I want you to read with me. And this is the first lesson that Joshua learns. He understands intuitively and begins to nail down deep in his heart that the battle is the Lord's. I want to read this in Exodus 17, 14, and 15. Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Because it will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. This is the first thing that Joshua learns in preparation as he will lead the children of Israel in the promised land. Now he's very young at this point. But what he understands is no matter how much military prowess he has, no matter how much he develops the military strength of the Israelites, the battle is always going to be the Lord's. And not only is it the Lord's, 
See, the idea is, the factor is that the Lord is lifted up and he is the banner. Now, the, the principle behind this, if you've ever read anything about warfare, the banner was always the focal point. You would raise the banner because in the confusion of war and the, and the, all the noise, everything that would be going on in a battle, it's very easy to lose your way. But when you're in that midst of that confusion, in the midst of, this, of whatever's going on around you, in the midst of that battle, when you would see the banner, you would be reminded who you're fighting for, who's your king, and the fact that this battle isn't about you, it's about him. And this principle was laid down very deeply in Joshua's life. In this instance, the battle is the Lord's and the Lord is his banner. So when you and I, when we begin to march into 2022, when you face confusion, when you face disorientation, when you're not sure about the events that are going to be coming at you and not sure how to handle them, remember this. The battle's the Lord. He is our banner. See, the writer of Hebrews says this in, in Hebrews 12 too. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. He is our banner. Well, that's the first thing Joshua learned. Second thing, as we move on, that he learned, and this is a little bit further in the book of Exodus. In fact, we find in Exodus 24, the next instance we see Joshua, he's seen as Moses' assistant. And what happens is that out of that, out of what that situation arises is that they, travel, they move up onto Mount Sinai. They, they go up, up the mountain, and there God gives Joshua the law, gives Moses the law, and Joshua's with him. But what happens then after they receive the law, they receive the Ten Commandments, they begin to go back down. And Joshua hears this loud noise, and he thinks there's war in the camp. And this is in about the 30th chapter of the book of Exodus. And Moses says, no, he knows better. It's not war. In fact, what happens is the children of Israel turn back to the idol worship that they had in Egypt, and they were practicing all kinds of detestable things and doing things that they shouldn't have, and God's wrath burns against the people of Israel. And it's so much so that, that, that Scripture leaves us in a little bit of a dilemma because it, it, God's not sure he's going to go on with the people. And so what happens is, and this is in Exodus 33, that Moses sets up a tent of meeting outside of the camp. Now, this isn't the tabernacle. This is the tent of meeting. This is before the tabernacle. And Moses would go out to the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord in the cloud would descend upon the, on the tent. And it, Scripture tells us that Moses would meet with God as a man meets with his friend face to face. And look with me in this passage of scripture. I want to read it to you because in Exodus 33, 11, it says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. This is the second thing that, that Joshua learns. He learns that he can be God's friend. You see, there when Moses would meet with God face to face, Moses developed a friendship with God. 
What's amazing about this is this gives us hope. Because you see, despite the sin of the people, the people had a mediator. Somebody who would meet with God face to face and take their concerns, their needs to God because they couldn't do it themselves. And, what, and Joshua began to learn from Moses that he could be God's friend. And see, for you and I, we have a friend that's closer than a brother. Because we have one that not only understands how he feels, he's the one that has took our sin upon himself. He became the ultimate mediator for us. And because of that, because of what Christ did for us on the cross, because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, we can become God's friend. See, Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. And God has invested so much into the friendship with us. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. He won't let us alone. And Joshua learned that day that not only he could be God's friend, but he could trust God and he could share his heart with God and he could hear God's voice. But what's interesting about this passage of Scripture is the fact that Joshua lingered after Moses had left. That gives us such a picture of intimacy. You see, friendship with God is given to us through the person of Christ. But to really develop a friendship with God, it takes time. It takes energy. It takes effort. In fact, later on in Joshua 1, the Lord will tell Joshua in Joshua 1.8, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night and do everything according that is written in it, and then you'll be prosperous and successful. In other words, intimacy with God is based on the foundation of God's word. When you and I take God's word to heart, when we read it, when we meditate on it, when we process it into the, weave it into the fabric of our life, what develops over time is not just friendship with God, but intimacy with God. You want to be able to handle the circumstances of whatever 2022 is going to bring into your life? Not only do you have to understand that the battle is the Lord's, you have to foundationally believe that God is your friend. And out of that friendship develops an intimacy, a relationship that's more important to you than anything else. That's what Joshua learned. There's a third thing that he learned. We move on into the book of Numbers. And the next instance we see in the life of Joshua is not only just that the battle is the Lord's, we see the fact that not only can he be God's friend, we also come to the realization that it wasn't all about him. In Numbers 11, I'm going to read this passage of Scripture. This is in 11, 26 through 29. It says, However, two men whose names were Eldad and Meddad had remained in the camp, And they were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Meddad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all of the Lord's people were prophets, 
and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Now, this is the third time we see Joshua. Now, what's happened here is that Moses has led the children of Israel further into the wilderness as they proceed to the land of promise. But what's happened is because the, the, the leadership role and the responsibilities had become too much for Moses. It had become such a burden, and he asked the Lord for help. And so what the Lord did was he gathered 70 men together and they began, and he, and he called them out and they began to have the spirit of the Lord. The Lord took some of the spirit that he had on Moses and he put on these 70 men. And they began to prophesy. But what happens, and this happens with the Holy Spirit, you let him on the loose, you never know what's going to happen. But there were two men back in the camp and they began to prophesy as well. And, and Joshua gets all the Twitter. He gets all frustrated and flustered. And he goes, Moses, Moses, you have to make this stop. And look what Moses says. I want to reiterate this. He says, Moses, I mean, the, the, the word itself. <laughs> he said, are you jealous for my sake? Now, this gives us a window into Moses' heart. In fact, in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, it says that Moses was the most humble man who ever lived. You see, Moses recognized the fact that even though he was the Lord's servant, he was the Lord's leader, he was the mediator for his people, it wasn't all about him. And then the principle is that Joshua learned that it wasn't ever going to be about him. Now, what I mean by that, and help me, I want you to unpack this with me. One of the most fundamental things about leadership is to realize that God's in charge. That he is the one and we are dependent on him. Jesus says it this way in in, uh, Matthew 5, 3. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall see the kingdom of heaven. If you and I never develop a poverty of spirit, a a part of our life where we recognize the fact that no matter how much expertise you have, no matter how much experience you have, no matter how much skill you have, it really doesn't matter. All that matters is the fact that you recognize it is God and God alone that you need. Now, that doesn't mean that he won't use your expertise or he won't use your experience or he won't use your gifting. No, he will. But the recognition in our life has got to be, God, we need you. God, I I can't do this without you. If you don't do it, it's not going to get done. And Joshua learned that very, very deep-hearted principle that Moses was teaching him, that it's not about you. You see, we will experience more of the power of God the more we open up our hands and say, God, I need you in my life. I need you to take care of the details of my life. See, Moses needed help leading these people. As gifted as Moses was, as talented as Moses was, he recognized the fact that it was God who gave him the strength to do what he needed to do. Joshua learned that this day. That was never going to be about him. Well, we come to the fourth thing then, and this really is the, the kind of the climax of this part of Joshua's life. We come to the passage in, in Numbers 13, and Joshua learned a principle here in this passage where it's, if you have to be in control, you're never going to see God's power. 
What happens here in Numbers 13, and I'll just kind of summarize the whole story, is that they come to the very threshold of the promised land, a place called Kadesh Barnea. This is the culmination of the journey that as they had left Egypt and moved across the desert and God leads them to the land that they were going to possess. And God leads Moses to send out 12 men, 12, each representing one of the tribes. And these 12 men went over into the land of promise, across the Jordan River, all the way into the promised land and began to scout it out. They really weren't spies. They were just going to come back and give an assessment of what was there. And the report was unanimous from the 12 men. The land was bountiful. It was plentiful. It was abundant. It was more than they ever could have asked or imagined. And yet, there was a majority report and a minority report. And the difference of the report is, 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 is there in chapter 13. The 10 said, this was the land, Moses, that you sent us to go into. And the people are large. The, there's these walled cities, these huge cities. And, the, and the, the land is completely occupied. And we felt like grasshoppers in this land. And see, this, these 10, what they did was they totally took God out of the equation. It was all about what they could manage, what they could control, what they could figure out. But then you, you look over here with Joshua and Caleb. They had a different spirit, a different attitude, a different perspective. They said, yes, they're all walled cities. Yes, the people are large. Yes, this will be a huge challenge. But you know what? God has given us this land and we can take it. The sad reality at that, after that horrible committee meeting, the people chose to believe the ten rather than the two. And they refused to go into the land. And as a result, the people turned back and they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Joshua learned that day that if you have to be in control, you will never see God's power. He learned, and it was nailed down in his heart. It was seared all the way to the foundation of his soul that God's big enough to handle the challenges of the future if I will trust him. Now, so there are these four principles these four things that, that Joshua learned. He learned that the battle is the Lord's. He learned that he could be God's friend. He learned that it wasn't all about him. And he learned that if you have to be in control, you're not going to experience the power of God. So now we go back to Joshua chapter 1. And let's go back and look at exactly what was promised there in that passage of Scripture, what was said. Not only had Moses died, but let's, let's read that again. He says in the latter part of verse 2, get ready to cross the Jordan River and the land I'm about to give to them, the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. And then he goes down also in verse 5 again. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Because Joshua 
had learned these four principles, because these four principles were woven into the fabric of his life, he was ready to face the challenge of his day. He was ready to take on the leadership role that was there before him. But here's what I want you to understand and why this is so important. It's not just always about these principles. These principles give us a pattern. Because here in this passage of Scripture, it's very clear. The first thing that God tells Joshua is this command. It's the command to go. Then there's this promise that every place you set your foot, I will give you the land. Then it comes with an assurance of his presence. See, there's a command, there's a promise, and then there's the presence. This is the pattern that God plays out here in Joshua chapter 1. But it is a pattern that is repeated over and over again in Scripture. When Abram, who was in Abraham, then became Abraham, was given the same pattern, he was told to go. Then he was given a, the promise that I'm going to give you a land and a people. And then also there was was given the presence of God because God said, I'm going to go with you. Now the question, do you remember another time in Scripture where this comes out? At the Great Commission, Jesus, what does he say? Go. Go into all the world. Then the promise. As you make disciples, as you go, make disciples. But then what does he say? I will be with you. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. He repeats this scripture in Hebrews 13, 5. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, given directly by God to Joshua, these words. And links it with the bold affirmation of Psalm 118, verse 6, where he says, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You see, in Matthew 5, 14, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And then in Matthew 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they will know your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See, here, here's, here's the pattern that I want you to understand this morning. See, these four principles that we just mentioned in the life of Joshua are the same four principles for us to weave our life into the very foundation of who God is. But if that's all it is, we're missing something. These four principles serve as a catalyst for the command of God on every single believer to go into the world and let your light shine in such a way so that people will understand that God's glory and God's name and who God is is what we live for and what we testify about. This is not an option. The command to go to believe in the promise of God as we live out our lives, that the, the places that we put our feet are our mission field. And as we go, what the promise is that God's presence is not only with us, he goes before us. This is how you and I are to live our lives. This is how you and I are to approach 2022. God is our banner. We're God's friend. It's not about us. If you've got to be in control, you'll never see the power of God. 
But if you weave those principles in your life, then what you have to do is to continually obey the direction of God, and that is to go. You may be retired. Retirement may be a part of your life. But you and I as believers never retire from this direction of God. No matter where you are in life, you are to live out this principle of going. And as you go, let your light shine. And as you let your light shine, recognize the fact that God is there with you. And you have nothing to be afraid of. Because God is already there. That's how you and I approach 2022. That's how every believer should look at their life in Christ and go, man, this is going to be the best year ever. Why? Because God's already there. Now, I wish I could stop there, and probably I should. But there's something else here in this story that's, that's, that's very, very challenging. Because you see, Joshua comes to the very end of his life. And he says this in Joshua 24, 15, 16. He, he speaks to all the people and he says, If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord... Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. In other words, Joshua, man, he's taken the land. He and you know, Caleb has said, man, God, God has given me the land that Moses promised to me. They took it. They took it boldly. They lived out their faith. And he now comes to the end of his life and he challenges the people Are you going to continue this pattern of going with God and living out your faith? And they say yes. But then we come to Judges. Chapter 2, verse 7 and 10. Listen to this passage of Scripture. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. Who had seen all the great works of the Lord for which he had done for Israel. That's verse 7. But then look at verse 10. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Here's what happened. See, Joshua knew God. And it's because he knew God and because he walked in faith He knew God's work. He had seen God's miracles. He had seen God's hand. He had seen God's faithfulness. He had seen God's provision. He he knew that he could trust God's word. And so Joshua knew God, and he knew God's work. What came after Joshua was a group of elders, a group of people. They knew God, but they became comfortable, complacent. And as a result, even though they knew God, they didn't know his work. They knew about God. They'd heard the stories of how he'd been faithful, but they never experienced it for themselves. They never marched into the land of faith for whatever that meant for them. 
What's sad is then what comes next. There grew up a generation that neither knew God nor knew his work. You see, we are one generation away from seeing the faith of Christ in this land go away. We are living out this story over and over again, and we're living it out in this day and age because we have a generation that's growing up who neither know God nor his work. And the reason they don't know God, they don't know his work, is because there was a generation before him that became very comfortable, and they knew God, but they didn't live out their faith, and as because of the result of not living out their faith, they couldn't testify to the fact of the reality that not only God was real, but God could be faithful, he could be trusted, and I could walk anywhere in life and know that God's already there. Now, all of us are somewhere on this paradigm. Somewhere you are in this stage of of where you are spiritually. You may be at the place where you know God and you know his work. And praise God for that. You're living by faith and not by sight. And you're trusting the Lord for your future. You know he's got your future in his hands. And every day you begin that day and go, God, I need you. I don't have the answers for tomorrow. I don't have the answers for today. I'm not sure how I'm going to live my life, but you know what? I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to let that word sink into my life. I'm going to realize it's not about me, and I'm going to say, God, whatever this day holds for me, I know you're there, and I am going to believe that you're going to guard me and guide me and watch and go with me, and I am going to take the land. Whatever that means for you in your life, And if that's where you are, praise God, 2022 will be a year of God showing himself faithful to you. But you may be in that second camp, and it's easy to do. We become comfortable. We become complacent. We may have heard a lot about how God has been faithful in the past. And yes, we know God, but we're not living a life of faith, going through the motions, What in the world are you believing God for that only God can do? What are you trusting God for that only God can do? What are you praying for that only God can do? And see, the the stakes are high. Because there are people that are in your life that look to you of how real God is. And if, and if all you know is that, that you know God, but you're not living a life of faith, what will happen is there will be a generation that comes after you. And they will say, well, that was great for you. But you know what? Huh. Doesn't seem like it really made a whole lot of difference in your life. So why do I need it in mine? That's what happened to the children of Israel. Don't let it happen to us. But the hope is this, no matter where you are on the paradigm, no matter where you are on the spectrum, the invitation is God wants to become real for you and me. He wants us to walk a life of faith. No matter where you've been, if you've wandered away, or you may even be here this morning and, and, and hear the sound of my voice through the, through the instrument of video projection and have never, ever met Jesus himself, 
You may not understand the principles of Joshua's life, that you can be God's friend. And if that's the case today, you can meet him, and I promise you it will be the best decision you ever make in your life. But if for some reason you find yourself in that second camp, where maybe, maybe previously you've lived a life of adventure and faith, trusting God and taking the land, but for whatever reason you have grown complacent, you've grown cold, all you have to do is turn back to him, trust him, Believe and, and, and put, bring yourself back into his word and say, God, I need you. God, you're the thing that really matters most in my life, and I want to live for you. And as you do, I promise you, he will show himself powerful. I come back to the question, what is it that prepared Joshua to face the raging, flooding rivers of his life. What is it that prepared Joshua to take the city of Jericho? What was it that prepared Joshua to lead the people into the promised land? That's because he walked with God. And you can too. That's the hope. That's the challenge. That's the adventure of 2022. Would you pray with me? Father, I just pray this morning for every heart that's in the sound of my voice. That God, as we think about who you are and what you want to do in and through our lives, God, let us just embrace you wholeheartedly just like Joshua and Caleb did. Father, as we think about what the future holds for us next year, God, let our hearts not be full of fear or anxiety. Let them be full of faith, of hope, full of the reality, Father, that you are there with us and you're going to walk with us every step of the way. And the way that that reality sinks down deep into the very core of who we are is through your word. And Father, I pray that if there's somebody here this morning that has grown cold and they they know you, but for whatever reason, Father, they are not trusting you with the details of their life, I pray that this morning they'll just come back home and find that, that assurance, that presence that's more real than anything else in this world. And Father, as they do, God, I thank you for this embrace. I thank you for this reminder that, God, we are going to be able to march boldly into this next year, taking the ground, taking the land, 